Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. The Bible commands us to love God with our entire heart, soul, strength, and mind, and I find that really difficult. I want to love God with everything I have, but I find myself failing all the time, and I find myself adding to my love for God other things. So I want to love God with my whole heart, but I love science and God. I love the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, and I love God. I love God, and I love our country. I love God, and I like health. I love God and I love money. I love God and I love comfort. I love God and I love air conditioning. I find myself loving things and God and combining those things together. And and the, the struggle with that, the reason that's difficult is every time I say I love God and I add another love to it, it dilutes my love. So this has been from the beginning of time with Adam and Eve. I know I believe Adam and Eve loved God, and yet they also loved independence, and they loved control. And when they loved God and independence and control, you mix that together, it dilutes their love and obedience for God, and the Bible calls that sin. To put anything above God is sin. It's diluting our affections and loyalty to him, and we all struggle with that. I want to... But how do I do it? How do I love God and love God more than the people in my life? I'm supposed to love people. It's not that I'm not supposed to love people, but when people become more important to me than God, something's wrong. I love health, but when health becomes more important to me than God, I love politics. I love our country. I love a lot of things. But when these things become more than loving God, it dilutes and causes struggle and causes problems and causes heartache. So as a church family, we're going through the entire Bible in 2022. And we're in a section where we're learning about the Jewish people, how God says to them, love me above everything and everyone else. Don't worship any other God. Don't listen and love any other foreign thing. Me first above everything. And if you put other things first, you're going to bring pain and problems into your life. And as we've been looking at the Jewish people, we find over and over and over again, they say they love God, but then they go wandering off after foreign things and they put other things in front of God. They bring pain into their own lives. And what you find is they think that if they just get the next leader in their country, that's going to fix everything. It's like we have all these pain and problems and distraction and chaos in our nation, but when we just get the next leader, this is what's happening in the Bible, when we just get the next leader, then everything will be okay, and they're missing the point that they're actually causing their own problems and their own pain, and the Bible teaches from beginning to end that no leader can sweep in and fix our problem, because every leader is broken and flawed like you and me. So the new leader's not going to fix the problem. We're the problem. It's why God sends his only son into the world, to be the leader we all long for. It's why Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes to planet Earth, he leads by loving God and listening to God. At every step of his life, 
He's not mixing his loyalty to God with something else. He's completely loyal and allegiant to God. His love for God above everything else is first and foremost. He, he doesn't listen to his culture. He doesn't listen to his temptations. He doesn't listen to his feelings. He listens to God at every step. And because he loves God and listens to God, he becomes the only perfect one who's qualified to pay for our sins, to die and absorb the wrath of God on his shoulders so that we can have access to God. And we don't need religion anymore. We have complete access to God by faith in Jesus Christ. And he dies and he rises again. Happy Easter, right? He, he rises again from the dead, proving that he's not just a person, but that he is God. And when we put our faith and trust in God alone, through Christ alone, we're forgiven. And God puts his spirit inside us. And you know what's super cool about that? When his spirit is inside me, now I can learn to love God and listen to God just like Jesus. Now because my sins are forgiven and I have the spirit of God living inside me, I have the ability to listen and love God with all my heart and become like Jesus. But it's a growth and a learning that that comes about. It's not instantaneous. So there's this guy in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings he reminds me of Jesus, but he also reminds me of myself. His name is Elijah. And he teaches us in this section of the Bible about how to learn to love and listen to God alone. He's a normal person like you and me, and yet as he grows and learns, he looks more and more like Jesus, and I think his story will inspire and encourage you. So if you have your Bibles, we're in 1 Kings 17, sort of towards the beginning of your Bible, electronic copy, paper copy. Love for you to follow along today. And if you have the Faith Church app, I think it's super cool because you can push on today's sermon in the app and you can take notes if you like to take notes and follow along. There's also a little tab called Guided Notes where you can fill in the blanks and follow the text. It's really neat and save it for later. So I encourage you to use technology and writing. It helps you to process and learn. Let's pray together. God, we've set aside a few moments of our time online and here on campus to grow and to learn. I believe that most people that are here today that are listening want to love and serve you above everything else and everyone else, but it's hard. This is a struggle. We want to be different. We want to listen to your voice. We do not want to worship or honor things that are cheap substitutes to you, but it's just hard. And so would you use the moments that we've set aside now, and would you bring your Holy Spirit to do something that we can't do for ourselves, grow and change us, encourage us and convict us of sin, teach us and lead us, that the time spent together today in your word, learning, growing with your people would fuel us to be different would fuel us to say no to cheap imitations, fuel us to say yes to you and to your truth and to your word, that we might become more like Jesus. This is not possible without your help, but with your help, we can do this. So help us to lean into 1 Kings 17, I pray in Christ's name. Some quick contests. Remember the people... 
of Israel want a king. So you read through the books of First and Second Samuel. They get their first kings. In First and Second Samuel, you hear about the King Saul and King David and King Solomon. Then we move on to this section of scripture called First and Second Kings. And in this section of the scripture, we learn about many different kings over many different years. And each king is more evil than the one before him. There are some godly ones mixed in in these books, but overall, each king gets worse. And so by the end of the book, Second Kings, Israel falls into captivity again. So if you're tracking with this at all as we read through the Bible, you start in 1 Samuel, and they want a king, and God gives them a king. And if you fast forward a couple hundred years to the end of Second Kings, the Israelites fall into captivity again because they're not worshiping God alone. In a short amount of time, it starts so well, it rises so great, and then it collapses on itself because they're worshiping other gods. Something else happens, interestingly, in this time. People want a king. God's like, here's a king. But those kings don't listen to God, so God's like, I'm going to send prophets. I'm going to send these other people to remind you and warn you. If you don't trust God alone, you're going to bring pain and consequences into your life. Follow God. There is peace and power and protection in following him. But if you want to ignore God and reject God, you're going to bring pain and destruction into your own life. And this is where we meet the prophet named Elijah in 1 Kings 17. He's just a mortal like you and me. He's got pluses and minuses, but he has a heart that wants to learn to love and to listen to God and serve people. I think his story is inspiring. First Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, there will be no dew or rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah's a prophet. He shows up to a guy named Ahab and says, no rain unless I say so. Kind of odd. Who's Ahab? Great question. If you go back one chapter, 1 Kings 16, we learn about Ahab in verse 29. It says, in the 38th year of Azza, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Amri, becomes king of Israel, and he reigns over Israel for 22 years. Listen to how it describes this king, though. He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Not only did he consider it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of this other dude, and they began to serve Baal and worship him. Ahab set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built, and he made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So this guy Ahab is a bad dude, like bad. And he's done more evil, it says, than any king before him. He likes the fact that he can say, I'll worship God and I'll worship this other dude, Baal. And I can do them both. I can do it together. What's the big deal? I'll have both and. You don't have to tell me to pick. I'm taking both. And that's cool with me. I like mixing everything together, going against the commands of God. So God raises up a prophet, this guy Elijah, who's going to warn him and say, listen, dude, no rain unless I say so. Imagine someone going into President Biden's office and saying, listen, dude, no rain on the United States unless I say so. You're drawing swords, right? You're, you're ready to fight. You're going into the president, the king of a country, and go, hey, I'll say when there's rain in this country. 
Like, who do you think you are? But Elijah's throwing down in this moment. He's picking a fight with Ahab and his God. Battle lines are drawn. Who's more powerful, Elijah the prophet or Ahab the king? Who's more powerful, God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the God of Baal? Before this battle, though, God wants to teach Elijah a few things. Verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there, not the football team. I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So Elijah did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So Elijah's this guy who loves God, and he's listening to God, and God's like, go over there, I'm gonna supply for you. Before you go to this epic battle, I wanna supply for you. It reminds me of God sending Jesus into the wilderness before his epic battle and God supplying everything that Jesus needs. He does the same with Elijah. You're about to go to battle. I want you to listen to me and I want you to know that I will sustain you through everything. Then you get to this section in 1 Kings 17, verses seven through 24. We're not gonna read it, but God directs Elijah in an interesting way. First, first, go into this ravine I'm gonna feed you. Elijah goes into the ravine and he feeds him. And then something else, he goes, I want you to go to this widow's house, this foreigner's house, this woman who's poor, and she has a son, and remember the country is in a famine, so she's poor, she's a widow, she's from a different ethnicity, she has a son, she can't feed herself. I want you to go to her house, Elijah. Elijah goes to her house, and he feeds her, and then something terrible happens. This widow's son dies, she's heartbroken, So Elijah prays for her son, and he comes back to life again. And God's teaching Elijah through this. He's teaching him God loves to provide for all people. And he answers prayer. He's teaching Elijah, I'm not just going to supply food for just you, my prophet. I'm actually going to supply for everyone. I love the widow, the poor, the foreigner. I will supply everyone's needs if you'll allow me. And Elijah, I want you to know that when you call out to me and ask me to do things, powerful, crazy things, I will answer your prayer because Elijah prays this boy rises from the dead. It's actually the first resurrection recorded in the Bible of a dead person coming to life again. And all of this takes place to prepare Elijah for a battle that's going to go down in 1 Kings 18. Remember, there's this evil king who's worshiping God and Baal. And Elijah says, no rain unless I say so. Now this battle is about to take place. Who's the true leader of the country, Ahab or Elijah? Who's more powerful, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the God of nature, Baal? And I'm not going to give you the details of the story. You've got to read it yourself. But it's a classic underdog story, really cool. 450 prophets of Baal against one prophet of God. And the contest, who can call on God to send fire from heaven? Who can say, yo, God, send fire down? Who's going to be able to do that? And the reason this battle is in place is because of something Elijah says. It's so helpful and fascinating to me. Elijah went before the people in this battle and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. I mean, he's, he's saying to the people of Israel, and by extension to us, 
You love the thought of having both and, but I'm telling you, you got to choose. You're going to choose today. Are you going to love God or are you going to love something other than God? You want to stay in the middle. You want to play the middle game. You want to have both and, and Elijah's like, no, this battle is to show there's only one true living God and you must follow him. Stop saying you love God and love everything else. And so pick a side, he says. And he gives the prophets of Baal every chance to win, but the underdog comes out on top. Elijah wins, God wins. And you gotta read the story because then he takes a sword and kills all 450 prophets. It's a bloodbath. You might hate those kind of stories. I think it's cool. Epic battle scene, right? Go read this incredible story. It's this big battle scene. God and Baal, Elijah and Ahab. Then get to 1 Kings chapter 19. Look what happens next. Isaiah, or excuse me, Elijah's gone through this season of seeking God's goodness and power. He's gone through this epic battle. Check out what happens next. Now Ahab, this king, tells his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. I mean, are you tracking this? Elijah loves God and he's listening to God. He's seen God provide in miraculous ways, raise the dead, send fire from heaven. He's gone through this situation where he's watched God do epic things. And now this woman, this queen, says, I'm going to kill you between now and tomorrow. And what does Elijah do? He runs. He, he does exactly what you and I would do. That's what I would do, right? He's scared. He's seen incredible things. He's seen God be faithful, and yet he's scared, and so he runs. I mean, I've seen God's faithfulness before, haven't you? In little and big ways, I've seen God provide for me and protect me. There's times I know so clearly how shameful I feel because of my sin, but then I sense the forgiveness of God and I feel like a different person. I've watched God provide for my family and meet needs and answer prayer in big and small ways. But there's days I just wake up and go, I'm scared and I'm not following you anymore. And I'm gonna listen to voices. I'm gonna run away. And I'm going to give in to my feelings and give in to my temptations. And I'm going to walk in fear. And what you see with Elijah here in this moment is he's just exhausted. It's been three and a half years of difficulty. He stood up to a king. He went through a drought. He's growing and serving and learning. He finishes this epic battle. A queen threatens his life. He runs. It puts him over the edge. He's afraid. And what I love about God here in 1 Kings 19 is he doesn't go, oh, Elijah, you pansy. No. He meets him because God teaches us to love and to listen to him at times by giving us rest. And as you read this, you see that he, he turns to Elijah in this moment and says, Elijah, take a nap. Elijah, eat some food. Hey, Elijah, take another nap. Hey, Elijah, eat some more food. Before God is going to teach him anything more and do anything more in his life, he knows Elijah just needs a rest. Maybe you've been in a difficult season. This has been a crazy time for us all. How wonderful it would be if God would whisper to you, take a nap. You're like, please, God. Right? 
hey, eat some good food. Oh, take another nap, not just one. Eat some good food. You see, God knows us. And rather than telling Elijah in this moment, hey, Elijah, buck up. Haven't I proven to you that I'm faithful and good? Haven't I proven to you that I'm bigger than that queen? Haven't I proven to you that I'm going to take care of you? Hey, suck it up and have a little bit more faith. Get over yourself and trust me. He doesn't. He goes, take a nap. Maybe that's what God wants to communicate to you, that sometimes he can't teach you another lesson until he says, rest a while, my son. Rest a while, my daughter. Eat some, get healthy, get strengthened before I teach you another lesson, before I move ahead, before you can grow and learn. You just go through a season of God giving you rest. And once God gives Elijah rest, he's ready for another lesson, 1 Kings 19.9. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? Remember, he's afraid. He runs. God gives him rest. And now God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I love this honesty. Isn't this what we would say to God? God, I've tried to honor you. I've tried to follow you. I've tried to listen to you. I've tried to serve you. I've done things for you, but now I'm scared. I'm alone. I'm tired. And implicit in Elijah's words are the question, God, where are you? Like, I've done this stuff for you. I've tried to honor you. I've tried to listen to you. I've tried to follow you. I've tried to obey you. I'm tired and alone. Where are you? Why am I tired and alone after I've done all this stuff for you? I love the honesty of the Bible. God's like, I get it. You're tired. You're scared. You're alone. Verse 11. The Lord said to him, Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard the whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to them, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. As if God needed to know. He knew. He knew he was tired and scared and alone. And you know what God does? He says to him, Elijah, I'm going to come close to you. I'm going to pull up alongside you. I'm going to strengthen you, but my son, I'm not going to do it the way you think I'm going to do it or the way you would have imagined. You've got wind tearing rocks and you have an earthquake and a fire and God's not in any of those things, but the fire leaves and then a gentle whisper comes. What is this? God is teaching his son Elijah, but he's teaching us too to love and to listen to him, not by powerful displays, but by his quiet presence, that his 
teaching us to love and to listen is not powerful acts. He could do that, but instead, his quiet presence is strengthening for the journey, Elijah. That not these big, powerful things, something small, something quiet. And this is so instructive to me because I look at Elijah and I go, I want to be like him. He's like Jesus, and I want to be like Jesus. And Elijah's a person just like me. And he does these courageous things, and he stands up against evil, and he listens to God, and he's loyal to God. He loves God, but he also is tired and scared and alone. And what does God do in this moment? He reminds Elijah of his love and protection through something very quiet, something gentle, just a whisper. And I want to love God with my whole heart, don't you? I mean, I'm really excited because some people that are watching or here, you're just exploring faith in God and, and you're just trying to figure it out and trying to decide if you want to trust God and what is religion and church and all that stuff. I'm glad you're here and exploring because if you're exploring God, if you seek him, you will find him if you seek him with your whole heart. But there's a bunch of us here that want to love God with all our heart. We want to listen to him. We want to love him. We want to serve him. But you look at this and you go, where do you start? And his life is instructive to me. This passage helps me get some real tangible ways that I could grow and change. There's a theologian named Oz Guinness who helps me with this. He says, the first duty of believers is to say yes to God. And the second is to say no to idols. That if this is something we're going to pursue, if we're going to follow Jesus and grow and learn that our first thing is to say yes to God. But it doesn't stop there. It's saying no to idols. And you know, like for me, I don't know, in my house, I don't have little wooden objects and candles and a little shrine I bow down to in my house. But boy, do I love people more than God. Lord, boy, do I love people's opinions of me more than God. Boy, do I love a bag of ruffles more than God. Boy, you know, like I love all kinds of things. I need more money in my savings account. I need more success and control over my life. There's things that I want more than I want God. And these things are idols. And what Elijah is teaching me here is, how long will you waver, Joe, between two opinions? If the Lord is your God, follow him. If he's not your God, then follow that. In or out, fish or cut bait. There's no middle ground. First and only God or Stop straddling the fence. And we hate this in our modern society. We like to make a frappuccino of all of our things and suck it up in a straw together and go, boy, that tastes good. When we're putting a lot of crap together with God and sucking it up and it doesn't make God happy at all and we wonder why we're swallowing poison. See, we don't, we don't like that. We like to have both and, and maybe some of the problems that we have today is because I'm saying yes to God and yes to all kinds of things that are not God or not godly. And I'm not saying no. Maybe my pain and my problems aren't because if only there were better things happening in the world. But I'm actually bringing this on myself because I'm choosing to love people and money and possessions and control more than I love God, and I'm bringing this pain onto myself. Saying yes to God means I also say no to things that are not God. 
and that don't please him. Elijah's life teaches me this. It also teaches me that when I feel tired and scared and alone, I can run to God, not run away from him. See, if you're just exploring faith in Jesus, again, I'm glad you're here. But if you put your faith in, in Jesus today, you're a child of God right now. You're a son and daughter adopted into his, God, into his family forever, which means where can you go from his presence? Where can you go from his spirit? Can you ever hide from God? Can you run away from God? No, he's adopted you into his family. You're his forever. Elijah tried to run away from God, but he can't get away from God. The only thing he could do is run himself into more problems, which is what he did. So when you and I are tired or we feel alone or we struggle, if you're a child of God today and you run away from God, you are running towards problems and pain. But if you run to him with what you feel, he welcomes you with open arms. You can't get away from him. The choice is, am I going to fall on his everlasting arms or am I going to fall away from him? And when I fall away from him, I fall on my academics, I fall on my science, I fall on my people, I fall on my money, I fall on my country, I fall on my politics, I fall on all these things that might catch me for a little bit, but then they all dissolve too. And then what happens? I'm on the ground in pain, lost in the dirt. And even there, God will grab me but if I have a choice to fall on God or fall away from God, fall on him. Don't run away from him. Run to him with your tiredness, with your aloneness, with your pain, with your temptations, with your struggle. Run to him, not away from him. And when you run to him, expect his quiet presence will strengthen you. This is so refreshing to me. Don't expect a massive display of power. Look for his quiet, gentle hand. And this is so different than what most of us think. Like, I want God to be big. I want God to do powerful things. I want to see God. I want to hear God's audible voice. I want God to send fire down on my enemies, don't you? And I want God to act and work and do amazing things, powerful things to change the trajectory of my friends and family's life. And he can do that. He does do that stuff. But most times he works in small, gentle, quiet ways. He does do big things, but most times it's gentle and quiet. I think of the life of Jesus. He absolutely, in the life of Christ, there's absolutely powerful moments of miracles. But if you look and study the life of Jesus, it's just Jesus talking to God and living his life in front of God and doing his work and serving people. And out of the deep well of loving and listening to God every day of his life, he accomplishes his purpose on planet earth. And that's what God is inviting you and me into as well. Not looking for something big and powerful, though God could do that at any moment, but instead remembering that he promises never to leave you or forsake you. You can't go anywhere from his spirit. Instead of expecting big and powerful, expect small and gentle. The prophet Isaiah says it this way, in quietness and trust is your strength. In quietness and trust is your strength. So when I'm actually quiet enough to hear a bird chirping, I'm reminded that God says, 
Not a sparrow falls to the ground outside the will of my Father in heaven, and I'm buoyed, strengthened in my faith that God sees me and knows me. That when I see a sunset or a sunrise, I hear a song, I have a good meal or a good nap or a good laugh. I find in these small, simple things God's grace. I open up my Bible on the regular, and most days there's nothing profound that jumps off the page, but just the steady intake of truth that counteracts the lies of what I feel and what the culture tells me is right. Just the steady diet of listening to what is true encourages me in a small, gentle way when a friend text messages me and says, here's a truth from God. Just a small way to say, here's the direction to go when I'm struggling and I don't know what to do. And I say to my wife, what should I do? And she says, maybe you should do this. And I actually listen to her. That's God's small, gentle voice leading and guiding. When I get into my small group and I'm talking with other believers and I'm listening to other people's perspectives, this is the way God works in our lives. So often, small, gentle conversations, small, gentle nudges, small, gentle reminders that help us in our faith to follow. You want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Do you, do you want to learn to listen to him above your feelings and fears? Just look at this story with Elijah. God wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He was in a small, gentle voice. In quietness and trust is your strength. So when I'm tempted to fly off the handle at Costco or in the car or towards my family, there's a small, gentle voice that says, shut up, Joe. And I have a choice to listen because God's not going to get on a megaphone and say, shut up. Don't say that to your son or to your wife. Just a little nudge. Be quiet. When I'm tempted, the other day I was going through the supermarket and I forgot to buy the deodorant. It was stuck underneath the, car, underneath the cart and I got outside and I was tempted. What's $3? What's it matter? Except a small little nudge that says, go back inside. That $3 matters. And half the time I listen to the voice and half the time I take the free deodorant. But how, what is God going to do in that moment? Is he going to punch me in the face or is he going to just little tap me on the shoulders? But if I don't listen to that little tap, then the next time, and then the next time, and then the next time, and I find myself becoming a thief because I'm one bad decision away from making really stupid, evil things and inviting sin into my life, go take the deodorant back and pay for it. Because God works in small, gentle nudges and ways to guide his sons and daughters. So when you're looking for big and powerful, remember Elijah. Elijah learned that God provided for him, that God answered his prayers, that God was with him in battles, that God understood that he needed rest, that God wanted him to listen and learn, even when he was tired, to trust his still, quiet voice. Would you pray with me? Lord, today we need your help because it's easy to listen to our feelings and our culture. It's easy to have a two-face where we act one way at church and in small group 
And among Christians, it would act a totally different way when no one's looking. It's easy to ignore little things, think what's it matter, no one notices and no one cares. But in quietness and trust is our strength. So like Elijah, would you teach us, use whatever tools you need to teach us that you are powerful to provide for the widow, for the orphan, for the foreigner, for every person. You hear our prayers and you will act according to your plan and purposes. That when we face battles and heartache and pain, you always win. Teach us, God, to look for your quiet strength and listen to your words. Grow us into leaders that serve other people more than ourselves. Only you can do this in us. We trust you. We need you. We surrender.